0: The stage is dark, but the conversation is just beginning. Welcome back to the Utah Symphony's Ghostlight Podcast, a behind-the-curtain look into the world of classical music and the artists who make it. I'm your host, Jeff Counts, and I am rejoined today by Utah Symphony music director, Maestro Thierry Fisher. Welcome back, Maestro Fisher. Very nice to be with you again. The 1718 18 season is announced, and... It looks to be very exciting indeed. And I'd love to talk to you about it today. Can you tell us if there's any big ideas that you hope will resonate throughout the entirety of the program? Is there a, is there a story or a theme for the season? Tell us about it. And if um, no, make one up. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. As
1: you know, you know, the past season, I like to give a big frame with a big symphonic cycle. Right. Um, I think it helped a lot to create... Uh, our identity, our musical identity. So this season, maybe for the last time. Who we'll see different circumstances made us going for a unknown right symphonic cycle right, which is the Camille Saint-Saens right.
0: People certainly know the third symphony, but not likely the others.
1: Yeah, they know that probably one or two piano concertos right, and they know the Carnival of the Animals right. And that's probably it. Right. So no, yeah. I'm exaggerating. But so he wrote five symphonies when he was extremely young. Mm-hmm. But um, the idea is that also um, a European label Hyperion, yes, was extremely interested to record these symphonies because yes. they apparently, I'm not sure it's true, but probably yes, they haven't been recorded by a, an American. Orchestra, so we will be the first one to do it.
0: I think there are very few complete yeah, cycles yeah. in the CD record.
1: Yeah. So and um, I did record um, probably I think twelve CDs for Hyperion mm-hmm. when I had different jobs in Europe. Right. And uh, it's a huge honor now that they are interested to come and and work with the Utah Symphony and yeah. me in America. I think it's it's great news. It is fabulous. Very
0: very. Inspiring. Utah Symphony has a wonderful relationship already with Reference Recordings, which is a which is a San Francisco based um wonderful CD label. And now to be able to add Hyperion to our list of friends is pretty exciting.
1: Yeah, it's very motivating. Yeah. And what is very motivating as well is that this, this cycle, apart from the third symphony, the Organ Symphony, uh there'll probably be first performances in Utah, I'm you sure. Know? I'm so, sure. And the orchestra, after the big heavy cycles we've done, you know, Mahler, Nielsen, Beethoven. Yeah. Um, it will Brahms be, in the current season. And Brahms yeah. and Charles Ives now. Right, yeah, Thank right. you. Uh, it will be a very different, but I feel that we have this group confidence yes. to approach this very specific style, the French Romantism, right. you know, which right. is not like sure. the German Romantism we are in it now. Right uh it's very specific it's very sophisticated like you know french was at the beginning uh of the 20th century end of 19 yeah and um we have also developed the flexibility to adapt and to be very quick changing styles in our sound approach and and mm-hmm. projection and uh i think we we are doing this at the right time yeah. because we have this you know artistic confidence at the moment which Absolutely. will be bringing a lot to the cycle
0: I think it's wonderful that 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 you are continuing to commit to the cycle idea you and I talked about the cycle concept on the first episode of the ghost light podcast and the way you spoke about it was very inspiring so i I hope you'll stick with it beyond this season I really do so I have a question for you about momentum the seventeen eighteen season will be the second season past seventy fifth anniversary season and I wonder if it's been <clears throat> difficult to maintain momentum since then. I mean, I know you have a desire to keep the energy at a very high level all the time. Has that need influenced your programming decisions in any way? Have there been things about the energy that you've felt you needed to keep in the forefront of the orchestra's mind as you planned their their experiences?
1: Absolutely not. For me, you know, whether we we work for the 75th anniversary or if we work to go, you know, on true in the middle of Utah, mm-hmm. or we play in the Abravanel Hall. For me, <laughs> I focus on the concert. Sure. I don't focus on the event. Sure. And that's my message to the organization. Right. So for me, of course, we were all very proud and happy of what we achieved with all this collaboration right. and, and CD projects and, and Carnegie Hall. Um, however, for me, my motivation is, is even bigger now because this anniversary brought a lot of, you know, excitement and it developed very naturally some good connections, lots of solidarity in the orchestra and so the orchestra is much stronger now. So that's yes. why I'm even more motivated. Right. Of course we don't go to New York this year right. but however, again the nature of the art is more important than the event and that's why an organization can grow is if you focus on the artistic mm-hmm. and then the events We'll be coming back. We are working on it, of course. Sure. But I was going to say the same pleasure, but it's even bigger now. Right. So.
0: <laughs> it's, it sounds like what you're saying is anniversary or no. Your your expectation and the level of energy that you bring to this is the same all the time. It's even more because, you right. know,
1: now with the confidence the orchestra got with this anniversary sure. season, we can go further. Yeah. There are more things very natural in our relationship. I mean, within the orchestras and in my relationship with right. the orchestra. right. Uh, as well yeah. so they know me I know yeah. them so we can go further some things we don't need to talk some things you know it's, yeah. they get it immediately so we are at this point in our relationship right. that um, if we if we focus on on priorities group priorities it's even more exciting now than it has
0: ever been you You talked about relationship and the the experience that a music director has with his orchestra really is a relationship and it's built over time. And I'm sure when that relationship is in its beginning stages, there are probably projects and repertoire and things that you think, maybe not yet. We're not at the point in our relationship where 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 we can be successful there. But I suspect as the years go on, more and more things become possible. And more and more experiences become sort of obvious in terms of planning. Has, has that been exciting to, to grow in this way with your orchestra?
1: Very, you yeah. know. Uh, like Arnold Schoenberg wrote in his incredibly inspiring Harmony mm-hmm. Lehre book, you know, mm-hmm. what, what is Harmony about? It's right. like 700 pages. In the first page, he writes, I learned this book from my students. Oh, uh, yeah. Yeah. And I can say the same. I learned so much from the orchestra. Right. When I arrived, you know, for me, it was new to be in America. So sure. a lot of things I had to discover. Sure. Um, but I learned from them. I learned from their willingness to be always better. And we had to find our way together. And uh, I think we learned from each other. And But I have been, and I'm more and more inspired by, by, by the orchestra yeah. because
0: we are in this journey. So... I think people who listen to the performances can hear that. Yeah. I think they can tell. You mentioned Samson Symphonies, you mentioned Hyperion Records and the wonderful relationship we're going to be forging with them. You know, we talked before about the long-term, very ambitious, I believe, recording strategy of the Utah Symphony. And the Sanson Symphonies are gonna have a huge part to play in that. And they really do have a big footprint in the 1718 season. Five different weeks of recording to make these to make these CDs happen. So I I know that you are Swiss and you are not French, but I wonder if there is a cultural connection you feel to Saxon symphonies, particularly. Is, is 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 that another reason why this project is important for you? Oh yes, definitely. After all these
1: big cycles we mentioned earlier on, yeah, I was anyway thinking of going to something more from my culture. Sure, you know, after Beethoven, Mahler, sure, Ice, Brahms, and all that, and this the conjunction of events, you know made us arriving in a very natural way to mm-hmm. this Saint-Saëns world. Mm-hmm. But of course, Saint-Saëns is, is my education. Right. Uh, I mean, all the style of Saint-Saëns and, you know, French uh, cultural references, sure. French hopes, French philosophy, French writers. Uh, you know, I'm from the French part of Switzerland. Right. So sometimes I feel... French. Sure. Culturally, I feel from the French culture. La- language definitely. is a critical connector yeah, between yeah, yeah. people,
0: so I'm not surprised to hear that.
1: So uh, the challenge of performing these unknown symphonies is, for me, very natural. Yeah, I-, I know that I will be wanting to give the very best of the simplest we can be approaching that. Of course. Just to have this little touch of, as you like to say about us, this je ne sais quoi. <laughs> <laughs> English speakers love yeah, to say that yeah, phrase. You're right. <laughs> so thanks for considering I'm an English speaker. I love it. You are. <laughs> yeah. Absolutely. But, you know, this is what is about French Romantism. Yeah. It's not only broad and large and take a written and and develop yeah. this massive coda yeah. and power, and yeah. which is so inspiring in Brahms, what we're doing now. Yeah. French Romantism is completely different. Is more suggestive. Sure. So you show, but not to the end, because yes. you let your imagination going to it. Yeah. So the, I think the orchestra is ready. When I I see what we can do at the moment in different repertoires, you know, I just suggest, and then I le- I can listen to them. You know, what is very interesting is what the Charles Ives cycle we are doing at the moment. This week we are rehearsing Ives two. Right. Honestly, all this cycle, I had the feeling I have to give ideas to the orchestra and, you know, to guide from, you know, my past experiences with other orchestras, both Mm -hmm. as a player and as a conductor. But with the IVE cycle, since the first symphony we've done, I really have the feeling that sound-wise, I am actually learning from the orchestra. Interesting. Yeah. It's extremely interesting. Because it's very natural when we play the camp meeting, sure. when and play the first symphony, unknown and extremely difficult. Sure. The sound of the forte, the sound, yeah. you know, the, the 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 lightness, the transparency comes in yeah. a very obvious way for the all the players. Yeah. Because it's their culture. Yeah. as Saint Sans is my culture. Right, right. So this week in Ives two I'm so much enjoying it because yeah. the sound and the levels and the balance within this orchestra is something Something I am actually learning from the players because they do it like this. Or oh, the tempi, Very you know, in the fanfares, in the hymns, sure. in the college tunes, yeah. in all this. All, all is mixed with the uh, quotes from Brahms, uh, Dvorak, Johann Sebastian Bach, yeah. but Americanized by Charles Ives so cleverly. Yes, of course. So there is a mixture. Of like I, I surprise myself. I don't know if you've seen rehearsal. Then I hardly move. I just yep. listen. You know, yeah. it's it's absolutely fascinating. Uh, journey we are doing sure. in, with these cycles. I, so I, with the Saint-Saëns, uh, sorry to interrupt, please. just with the Saint-Saëns, this will probably be reversed, you know, because they, the orchestra knows me very well now. Right. So they will just probably just look or don't even look and just have this just little distance. Yeah. With this very specific sound of the French Romantism.
0: I love this idea of you and the orchestra sort of exchanging and sharing language with each other. Oh, it's, it was a shock for me. Yeah. You know?
1: Suddenly I realized, my gosh, they really doing it in such a natural it's way. In,
0: it's just in their DNA. Yeah. yeah, so I
1: said, Jerry, just keep cool yeah. and just give the beat and they do it. And he was really in all three symphonies so yeah. far. Now, of course, we have the major challenge of Ives four IV coming, which is very different. But, but for these three first symphonies, yeah. so, so spectacular.
0: I, I, I love thinking about what that's going to bring to those recordings. I think it will be really very special. Before we lose our time here, I want to talk about your specific highlights from the 1718 Masterworks season beyond the symphonies. You've got your notes there, I see. So please tell us the things you're excited about, the artists, the repertoire, the, the, the projects. Just, just speak a little bit about what makes 1718 special.
1: You know, I like to say every time I'm interviewed about the season, people want to know well, what do you prefer, etc. So my answer is always... You <laughs> All know, of it, yeah. <laughs> from the first piece to the last piece, every single concert is as exciting as any other concert. For me, for me you know, I'm attracted by challenges, by beauty, by being inspired by these composers. So mm-hmm. it's, it's, I cannot make a, a list of priorities. Sure. You know, this is more sure. special. You know, everything is special because, again, I concentrate... On the concert, not on the event. Of course. So in this specific case, the event is the season. Sure. And we are doing the the inner cons- consistence of, right. of the season. Right. But anyway, having said this... Please, you know, please try, Maestro. Please, I, I do my best. <laughs> Um, <laughs> no. We're going to start the season with the Strauss tone poems, yes. and also we do some also in the middle of the season. Right. I think it's good in about time we start uh, doing mm-hmm. this because this is the ultimate pleasure for an orchestra. It's so well written, it's very organic. It's a lot of brings a lot of satisfaction to Absolutely. the players. Yeah. A lot of abandon. It's loud. It's soft. It's melodic. You just yeah. wait for the other melody, and you you know them. And it's it's giving the same pleasure to an audience. Absolutely, it's, it's so well written. Yeah. And it's so symphonic, it makes an orchestra shine. And it's, it's just so
0: organically yeah. uh, written. So yeah, when I, you conduct Strauss, you just you know can't stop. I can remember when I was performing, playing Strauss' tone poems. And I always called a week at, with an orchestra that that included one of the big tone poems, I called that a score week, like mm-hmm. when Mahler symphonies are played. Because those are the weeks when you see about 20 scores on stage. The orchestra always has score with them because there's so much density and complexity to the music, but it's very organic, like you say, that people are just interested in turning the pages themselves, not just the (laughs) conductors. So please, I digress, continue. Well, we have a lot of great
1: artists Mm -hmm. uh, this season. I mean, great guest conductors. So I mean, you know, I'm very proud that we are able to attract those, those conductors. Uh, we have uh, Matthias Pincher. We have returning, which is returning fabulous. Which is the third time. Yes. We have a great, German conductor Markus Stenz. Yes. Very which, excited about yeah, that. Yeah. Which will make his debut with us, yes. and hopefully not the last time. We have Christian Machilaru, mm-hmm. who came already once. He was a big, big success. Big success. And we have Bernard Labadi, the um, early classic uh, specialist. Yes. yes. Um, we have uh, Karina Kanelakis, mm-hmm. who is a woman conductor. Uh, very promising, on a rise. I mean Absolutely. She, she's doing a great career, everybody a real star. Every, yeah, yeah, a real star. And we have also another conductor who will actually come for the third time. Uh is uh, Kazuki Yamada, the Japanese conductor. Huge who success. such a hit yeah, yeah the, the when Huge he came success. for the first time. So you know, these six weeks are actually yeah. you know I can only recommend because what I like to say for for an orchestra and for me because I'm planning them and I'm really sure. there, is like this guest conducting guest conductor weeks are, are like a multivitamin shot right. for the orchestra, Right. because you know of course the cliche let 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 me just make some fun okay you know. <laughs> you know when when you have a guest conductor coming and uh, and he says to an orchestra oh you're just a little bit late here you know about this they would say oh he's such a great conductor he's telling us you know so important things. Such and great when years. and when the mu- music conductor <laughs> uh, music director is there every week and then say yeah he's just a little bit a little bit late here and says oh god here again <laughs> you know well that's true but it's also part of life i love it you know so for me i am counting <laughs> of you know the, this magic of what a guest conductor is bringing to an orchestra, yes. and I couldn't work as um, with the same uh, commitment with the with uh, the Utah Symphony if I could not count on this magic yeah. from the guest conductors. Uh, I was a player myself, and I do understand what this represents, you sure. know, for the evolution of a group. Sure. So that's why I'm doing my absolute best every year to go to to get the best conductors we can and we have I have personally a, a very high ambition to get even even more recognized uh, conductors in the industry to come in the coming years to to Utah I know you're very um, careful about the selection yeah, of these conductors it's crucial this yeah. week so i mean i can only encourage yeah. the audience to come to to these week's we are very fortunate to have, for example, we'll have three fantastic violin players coming. Please we tell have us about Augustin Hadelich, yes. you know, who is you know, a great American figure, so an amazing player, yeah, yeah. playing the Beethoven uh, mm-hmm. Violin Concerto. Mm-hmm. We'll have uh, the legendary Hilary Hahn coming with us for the third time. He's mm-hmm. very I'm here, excited yeah, about that. Doing uh, the Dvorak Concerto. We have a probably relatively unknown violin player called Patricia Kopachinskaya, i mean. This I know already. You know. <laughs> she'll be, she'll
0: be new to Utah Symphony yeah, audiences. Yeah, yeah. So
1: tell us a little about her. Uh, I worked with her last uh, spring mm-hmm. in, in Europe, and uh, for the first time I heard about her already. But immediately after the ten first bars of the concerto, I, I had this vision: I want her to come to Utah. Uh, but she's incredibly busy. She's mm-hmm. playing you now for the third time this season with the Berlin Philharmonic, with the Vienna Philharmonic on tour. I mean, she's doing such a mega career. So, luckily, as we got on very well, we found this one week where I was planning to be here in Utah and she was free and she's coming. Fabulous. So, she will be playing the uh, Schoenberg Violin Concerto, mm-hmm. which is, you know, not uh, Brahms, right. but with her, with yeah. her gigantic charisma, mm-hmm. it will be, we will be forgetting that she's playing Schoenberg. She will just be creating every new bar a piece of art wonderful she's th- this kind of player wonderful. she has a lot of cliche around her because she's playing you know without shoes she's coming with bare feet on stage and really everything. yeah absolutely. okay okay and that's how i heard about her sure but then when you work with her yeah. you don't even notice because she says like when we had for example emmanuel paul coming here twice and sure. so many players told me yeah, we always forget he's actually playing flute because yeah. he's such an artist. He, yeah. he could be singing or talking or right. playing violin or, right. or being a disc jockey, you know, whatever. Sure. Sure. He's just He's just music. Pure art. Yeah, whatever. He has yeah. a flute, okay, but he, he's not even important. Yeah. Patricia is one of these players. I you know, uh, she is. So I'm very happy to be able to invite those kind of players to the Utah Symphony because Absolutely. they bring a lot yeah. of inspiration to the players yeah. and, uh,
0: as well to the audience. But we, we have a lot of young players in the orchestra, so I imagine yeah. their their ability to be inspired by sort of why Mild spirits yeah. like that is pretty exciting. Yeah. I I don't want to get away from this discussion without asking you about contemporary music in next season. I know that's an important continuing goal of yours to you know, have contemporary music on the season. So tell us about your plans for seventeen eighteen in that regard.
1: Well, I did not give up with my uh, promise when I was appointed to have one uh, commission a year for the orchestra. We should talk about that. As I like to say, an orchestra is not only a museum, it's also a piece where creativity is needed. Absolutely. So we'll have a very established uh, European uh, composer this year. It's Tristan Murail, a French composer. I've done at least 6 to 7 pieces with him including a world premiere already. He he knows America very well. Mm-hmm. He was a uh, composer uh teaching composition in New York uh for years and he right. just came back to Europe 3 3 years ago. Right. So he's aware of, you know, the qualities and the high level of American orchestras. Yes. Us. So he will be he will be writing a piece for us uh for the last concert of the season. And he invented, actually, a system, which is called the spectral music. Spectral, right. Yeah. Right. And um, what is this? I mean, it's, first of all, he doesn't write bar, bar numbers. Uh-huh. I mean, oh, bar, you know, one, two, three, four, sure. and then sure. next bar. Sure, It's just spaced. So uh-huh. a conductor gives, I um, mean, I will be beating bars. Okay. But in a very irregular way. Sure, And sure. the players have to do it themselves yeah. and to find close sometimes to what Charles Ives is doing as well, you know, putting different actions at the moment, and we have to join like a minute and a half later to be together. It's it's the same kind of um, approach about the liberty and freedom an ensemble has to have to create this unexpected.
0: The idea of viewing time non-traditionally. And
1: time, not only in a metric way, but also in a sound, harmonical way, which Uh means Uh he asks some woodwinds to tune a a quarter tone lower oh, than others. Like if you have three flutes in the, in, in, in the piece, right. I haven't seen the piece yet, but sure. you know, I guess at least two or three, he will ask the second flute to be a quarter tone lower than the first flute mm-hmm. and the second oboe and the second clarinet and bassoon. And then he will probably do some scordatura in the strings right. just to create. And I remember he was once tuning an orchestra next to me you know, because it was new for me to do this spectral music. And he was like, okay, now that's wrong enough.
0: Wrong then enough.
1: And i to- talking about the tuning. You know, Usually it. you try these very vertical vibrations in yourself to right. a pure A. Right. And he was looking for, you know, this vertical vibration. Interesting. The oh, oh, and the oh, the dissonance yeah. is becoming beauty. Yeah. So al- already before you start playing the piece, you have an adventure just tuning in the orchestra. It's spectacularly in- inspiring. That's... Yeah. Fascinating! I can't so I'm glad that
0: there. we we got
1: him. Yeah,
0: it was a bit hard because he's very busy. But very be, busy, very popular, yeah, yeah, very yeah. very well known in the contemporary music world.
1: So that's great. But we'll have also in terms of uh, contemporary music, we'll have as we just talked about it the, um, the Beethoven Violin Concerto mm-hmm. with Patricia. Yes, we have an orchestration by a living composer, German composer Manfred Glanert, who is, mm-hmm. has orchestrated Brahms' songs. Right, that will be done by um, Markus Stenz. Right, and we'll have. Yeah, now we we're going to be celebrating Leonard Bernstein. I he didn't want to forget that. Very, Please. very important for me because yeah. Bernstein is, is a world figure, not only one uh, one of the most charismatic American artists, but yep. I mean the world artist. You know what he did. You know what he wrote. His career as a conductor. He was very good at lectures as well. You yes. know his knowledge, his culture, his humor. His, and I mean, he's for me. You know, uh, it's it's. I couldn't have imagined not playing his music for his 100th birthday because Bernstein is such a legend. So we actually are going to be focusing on his music three times in 18. Mm -hmm. Uh, The first time in a mini Bernstein festival, we will play the Chichester Psalms, the Second Symphony, Age of Anxiety, Mm -hmm. and the Bernstein Divertimento, a very spectacular piece. Oh, yeah. Uh, we'll talk about it another time. There will be a big focus on him during the summer, right? And also a mega project of him for the fall of
0: eighteen, which we'll talk another time to be to, to be continued on that yeah, discussion. Yeah, yeah. Um, one of the things that I think is interesting that you're, you're you're pairing the Chichester Psalms with the Stravinsky Symphony of Psalms, and I think this is part of your ongoing commitment to every season touch the music of Stravinsky in some way. So, what are the ways you're doing that in seventeen eighteen?
1: Yeah, you know, Stravinsky.
0: You know, if if I'm
1: asked the question which composer would you like to take if you are stuck on, the, on desert the desert island island, yeah.
0: so it's the same one for me.
1: Yeah. I mean yeah. Stravinsky and Bach. Mm-hmm. But luckily Stravinsky is using a lot of Bach in it his is music. Bach. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, exactly. So yeah, I'm a huge fan of Stravinsky's music. Yeah. Also, if you look at the journey of his writing, it's yeah. so all over time. Yeah, it's, sure. uh, you know, if you see the early pieces, the the Russian period, yeah. the last period, Requiem right. Canticles right. And, and the Concerti and the references to Bach and all this. Absolutely. And it's so inspiring. Yeah. So um, to pair the Symphony of Psalms and the Chichester Psalms, also knowing the love uh, and the inspiration Stravinsky was for Bernstein. Right. You know, it was for me a very obvious, it's very challenging for the choir because yes, they have to, to sing two very, very difficult pieces. Right. Brings it up to the audience as well. Yes. And, you know, it's contrasts. Yeah. It's for me, you know,
0: a way to keep awake. Well, amazing artists, amazing conductors, amazing repertoire, new music, Bach. It's it, it, a little bit of everything, it sounds like to me, which is really fantastic. I have another question for you, and it's kind of a big one. And, and I hope you'll bear with me. But I'm, I've been curious about this ever since we spoke. When we talked about your sort of pro, overall programming philosophy... On the first episode of the podcast, it was a fascinating discussion for me, and I'm curious: Do you feel that philosophy shifting at all, given the uncertainties of the world we live in? Now, it's important that I, I make clear that I'm not necessarily referencing this particularly particular moment in history per se. I'm more interested in learning if your programming personality changes with the world, or if you try to stay consistent regardless of what is happening around you. In programming, consistency has limits. Mm-hmm.
1: I am somebody who is listening to what is going on in the world with a lot of attention. Mm -hmm. I'm fascinated by geopolitic events, politics events, where we're going. And, you know, as an observer, you know, I'm fascinated. You know, I'm always listening, news, reading books. And, you know, it's something uh, which is inspiring me in different ways for for the best or for the worst. But, I mean, even if I don't want to, it is changing my way of, having a stronger or weaker desire of programming a certain uh, type mm-hmm. of music. Sure. Um, with the, as you called, uncertainty uh, of, you know, this, this tooth beginning of 2017, mm-hmm. I would say that inevitably I feel attracted to pieces which can give us the confidence not to give up
0: yeah.
1: on the necessity of having somehow beauty, the symbol of beauty, Mm -hmm. with us. And if we can do this with sounds and with wanting to come to Concert Hall, I have the feeling that we are participating to what we need, which is the feeling of never giving up, Mm. the feeling of putting us together, Mm -hmm. the feeling of beauty... And harmony is an essential notion for a society mm-hmm. to continue to look, to create, not the future we want, but the future we need.
0: Well, I urge everyone to listen to the seventeen, eighteen season with those words in mind, Maestro. I think this idea of courage and beauty, no matter what, is a message that will live far beyond today and even tomorrow. I really appreciate your answer to that question. I do want to ask you, because we had a conversation with Christopher Macbeth about the opera's 40th anniversary, which is 1718. I'm sure you're very excited for Utah Opera. Is there anything in particular you're looking forward to from that season? Maybe the premiere, uh, premiere production of Moby Dick? Of course, I, I will do everything I can to be there, yeah. and uh, I think that's
1: fantastic. It's also a complete new production, which is something I think right. the Utah Opera hasn't done for a few years. It's been a while, right? Yeah, so I'm very happy for them that they, yeah. they can do this. I'm very happy for Christopher. Yeah. Um, no, it seems to be a fantastic season, yeah. and. Uh, I think it's important that, especially after the orchestra having had so much momentum for the seventy-fifth right. anniversary, right. as we are actually Utah Symphony, Utah Opera, right. it's great that now we have this focus on the opera for a complete season. I mean, for much more, but at least a bit more, you know, for this coming season. Yes, and it's very exciting to have two anniversaries very close. So close together, great. Within three years, yeah. And too. I'm very happy that in the beginning of seventeen eighty season. Uh, we will be participating to this gala concert where we'll be featuring uh, Ronnie Fleming, who is a, fantastic. a legend. Yeah. And uh, I'm very happy to be able to conduct this concert, yes. honoring the opera, Absolutely. and just being a little puppet just for the opera here. Um, and yeah. that'd, that'd be a, a good uh, kickoff for, the, for their season.
0: You're not just offering the support of words, you're participating in a very real way in the anniversary, which I think is fantastic. You, your orchestra, on a Bravanel stage with an artist like that, sort of saying... Bravo Opera, have a wonderful season. I think it's great. One last question for you, Maestro, and I think you know what's coming because you've been here before. But I'm curious, since the last time we spoke, if you have any new ghost sightings to report. If the answer so, is uh, no, that's tricky. okay. Yeah. But no, probably not a ghost, but yeah. but
1: almost okay, yeah. a presence.
0: Yeah. yeah, okay.
1: It's funny because it's all coming back to me now, like mm-hmm. uh, almost a year later. Mm-hmm. When we did Mahler 8 right. uh, last February, so it's nearly a year. Now, of course, I'm listening to all the editings, you know, the the final making up of the CD because we recorded the symphony. Mm-hmm. So I can even, it's funny, you know, listening to the score, sure. all the edits, you know, what sure. we do. Sure. I can remember the which color was my, my jumper, Yeah. Uh, how cold it was, the atmosphere in the room. Exactly how you felt. Exactly how I felt. Yeah when I was giving this a beat, what player I was looking at. I mean, it's so incredible what comes back when you l- listen to edits. Incredible. It's fascinating. And also, suddenly, just listening to this, uh, you know, I listen with my headphones, you know, very carefully. It takes me days to listen to that in details yeah. and yeah. to collaborate with the record company. I remember that I really felt that Mahler was somehow, somewhere... And I was wondering why I had this feeling. And it's because, of course, when I do such a big project, I do my homework extremely seriously. And I was reading so much about Mahler. And the way he wrote this symphony, at some point he said that he was not there anymore. He was in this little gardener house in Austria, in the little village where he went every summer to write because he was so busy as a conductor during the season. And he said, I'm just waiting. And what I have to write, I have no idea. It will come. I'm just, I'm just waiting uh-huh. to the angels yeah. to tell me what to write, and and I remember me telling this to a pre-concert reception uh, to donors and sure. with um, you know different personalities supporting the project, and when I was telling this phrase, I had the feeling oh, what am I saying? Maybe he's there somewhere. You know, it's very weird. And I went yeah. actually very fragile. He was before the second concert. Sure, sure. So not a ghost, but kind of ghost, you know. Just definitely a strong presence yeah. about this idea that he was not himself. He was just waiting to hear from the sky what he has to write and just telling this people at this reception. We were backstage with the soloist, you know, right. big line, many soloists. Right. And suddenly I said, oh, no! I forgot the beginning of the symphony. How does it go? I remember this. I was there, and I totally panicked. Yeah, honestly, I couldn't conduct the first bar. Yeah, and I asked a soloist score, and like a stupid conductor, I said, "Sorry, can I just <laughs> see the score?" I said, "Sure. What do you want to see?" Yeah, I can't remember how it starts. <laughs> and she looked at me, said, and suddenly I was thinking of Mahler saying he doesn't know what to write. He's yes. just waiting. Yes, and suddenly it did. Give me a lot of comfort. Yeah. that I was just waiting to
0: see what's going to happen. It was a very special moment. Maybe know? the same angel yeah, told maybe. you Veni Veni when yeah, you needed it yeah. most. Yeah, yeah. That's a fascinating story, and yeah. I definitely think it counts as a ghost yeah. story. Okay. Maestro Fisher, very excited about the 1718 season. Thank you so much for talking to it's us. A pleasure and, to be here. And being a guest on the Ghost Light Podcast. Thank you. The Ghost Light Podcast is produced by Chad Call. Utah Symphony, Utah Opera Season Sponsor is the George S. and Dolores Dore Eccles Foundation.